Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. And the audio works today. Woo! <laughs> First try. We didn't have to fight with it. Also, hold please. I need to put on chapstick. <laughs> hold please. Pause. <laughs> I actually just needed to open it. And for some reason that took me putting all my concentration into it. That's fair. It's Sunday. Our recording schedule is off. We've both had a week. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to shout out the person who gave us a five-star <laughs> review this week uh, in reference to what I said at the beginning of last week's episode. It was hilarious and it made my day. It will be posted on our, on our Instagram page. Uh, the review was titled Fun Dip and it just, it really made my yes. week. So thank you to you. And uh, right off the top, as usual, if you are loving our show, please, please, please go on to wherever you're listening and give a five-star rating and review as it really helps us out and it makes us really happy. Um, mostly the happy part. Heck yes. So anyways, thank you so much. We love you all. And uh, I just I've to- also seen some people recommending us, like us showing up on some Facebook groups and stuff. And that's so exciting because we're not the best at promoting ourselves or talking about anything on Facebook. It's not our niche. So when I see other people just recommending us and tagging us, I love it. Yeah, really. We love it so much. So thank you. I just wanted to share my appreciation. Uh, today is Katie's week, but I, of course, had to take over the first part of today. Uh, I really like As to, usual. I really like to take all the attention, attention for myself. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. But I just actually wanted to acknowledge the events that happened near us this week. Uh, many of you are local and will already know this, but last week, now, well, the, when the episode goes up, on Tuesday, June 28th, 2022, a 911 call actually came in at 11.02 a.m. to the Saanich Police in Victoria, B.C., uh, which is on Vancouver Island where we live. Greater Victoria Emergency Response Team, also known as GVERT, uh, officers and members of both the Victoria and the Saanich Municipal Police Department, responded to reports that two armed men had entered the Bank of Montreal with the intention of robbery. Uh, this is on Shelburne Street in Victoria. Katie and I have both lived really, really close to this location at different times. Yeah, if you watch the videos... Fujio is one of my favorite sushi places, and it's in the video. Yeah, I worked and I right across the street. The Katie used to come yeah. over all the time, so it's just a really crazy. And I mean, robberies do happen um, around here, but this one was just a lot Our bigger. Bank lot robberies, more. though, are rare. I find like that, ex- like to that extent in that response, I find like the you know the slip someone a note and maybe steal some money or break into an ATM is a different thing, but. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, to this, so grandiose. to this extent, it's really rare, um, but yeah. I was actually shocked when I was doing research that there was, like, over 100 bank robberies in Victoria in, like, 2020 or something. Like, I... During okay, COVID. I, I was talking to my sister-in-law about this because we were just uh, at a concert together, and we were like, aren't bank robberies, like, an archaic thing of the past? Didn't we move past that? But allegedly Like, I thought not. people stole your money online now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, legit. Um, like, that's all. Yeah. 
Pretty much. But, okay, so the emergency response team actually just happened to be in that area on an entirely unrelated investigation when those 911 calls came in. So they obviously immediately divert their efforts to the bank. Duh. I found out about this because video was being recorded by, like, multiple bystanders, people who were in the area, people who live nearby. Um, It was quickly making its way across the internet, and the video showed police running toward the bank building with their guns drawn, some hiding behind vehicles and bushes as shots were fired, and several witnesses who were in the area actually took shelter as they saw and heard dozens of gunshots on rapid succession as the suspects were exiting the bank and engaging in gunfire with the police. So the suspects were armed, um, and this is when they were coming Heavily. Out. Heavily. So, And they had body armor on. Um, it's ultimate... like they expected it to go badly. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that it really closely echoes a North Hollywood bank robbery from hmm. like a couple decades ago. Same kind of thing. These guys were like heavily armed had heavy body armor on and were super, super calm and like nonchalant in robbing this uh, Bank of America in North Hollywood. Um, So weird. But essentially two suspects were shot dead. Six police officers were injured. Three officers are already back home with their families, but the other three are still in hospital. One officer is in ICU requiring multiple surgeries Stanage police officers uh, are apparently being applauded as they were quick to attend to the gunshot wounds of officers that were on scene um, before they were taken to the hospital. And it's said that these actions more than likely saved the lives of at least three officers. Oh, yeah. Emergency response workers and like EMTs are amazing what Mm -hmm. they can do. Yeah. So that's. Essentially, the investigation into this attempted robbery and, like, the ultimate aftermath is now being handled by the Vancouver Island Integrated Major Crime Unit with assistance from both the Saanich Police and the Independent Investigations Office. Um, They are the ones who uh, investigate, like, police conduct when there are incidents involving civilian death or injury. Mm Mm-hmm. The suspects were identified on Saturday, July the 2nd, as uh, in the news showing 22-year-old twin brothers Matthew and Isaac Ochterlani. Um, They are from Duncan, B.C. and are linked to a white four-door 1992 Toyota Camry with black racing stripes over the roof and the hood. Um, They're listed as twins in the news. However, according to multiple sources who actually know the boys, they are triplets and survived by their sister, Sabrina. Wednesday, following the incident, the RCMP bomb disposal unit actually removed what they considered to be extremely dangerous explosives from the suspect vehicle and the explosives were taken to Heartland Landfill and destroyed successfully. The suspects were not previously known to police and had no criminal records. They were said to be armed and wearing body armor and a witness who was actually in the bank with the 21 other people that day told CBC that she was meeting with the branch manager for the first time at that bank in his office when he calmly told her the bank is being robbed. She said she looked up and saw a guy standing in the doorway with an assault rifle wearing a balaclava, a vest, and guards on his legs. Uh, She said this person basically asked the manager to bring them the bank's vault. The manager 
apparently, according to this witness, hands over a bunch of money and the suspects were still like pacing the hallways and whispering to each other. And the lady was just like, I didn't know what they were doing because they could have just left with the money and I was scared. And so she was left alone in the manager's office for like five to ten minutes. And during that time, she pulled out her cell phone and called 911. Jeez. Yeah. So there's a ton of other information about this right now online. It would take me way too long to go through all of it. Yeah. Um, but we'll probably are- cover this, I'm sure, again in, you know, a month, months or a year when it's a full case or more information comes out or, you know, it might be something we touch down on again. Yeah, definitely. Um, but because it's so new and so local, the police are asking anyone with information about the suspects or the suspect vehicle to call the Vancouver Integrated Major Crime Unit information line at 250-380-6211. And anyone with digital evidence in the form of video or photographs is asked to upload the information to Saanich Police through an online site. And I will post the link to that in the episode show notes. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's about it. I just didn't want to... I feel so bad for those parents of the kids and, you know no criminal record I who knows about their mental health history or what was going on behind closed doors but I don't think it's ever easy for parents to lose their kid especially you're losing two of them at once and being triplets there's a constant reminder yeah I was gonna say I feel for literally all the the parties involved here the family the officers the officers families um so this let's go without saying but Super tragic incident, and I didn't want to just, like, gloss over it. Like, this has happened in between since we've recorded our last episode, and it's so local to us. I didn't just want to, like, act like nothing happened. I haven't really posted anything on social media about it, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to get get that out of the way, if you will. Um, yeah, for we're sure. We're thinking about literally everybody involved. It's super tragic. And like Katie said, as more information comes out, um, we will kind of slowly update on that. I do have information here that um, they did come from a hunting family and they were legal gun owners. Um, And then it sounds like the boys were also kind of interested in military training. They always dressed up in camo. They liked to blow stuff up. Um, So I don't know if maybe something just like, like you were saying, went wrong mental health wise. Because those can be... uh, healthy hobbies like just because you're a legal gun owner doesn't mean you're gonna rob a bank and shoot it up right so obviously it could be one of those like folia de cases too where like they just amped each other up and fueled each other's fire and clicked in the right ways to make the wrong kind of chemical reaction out of their behavior yeah and that can happen so it also could have just been a completely rare circumstance that they just found each other and it just so happened to be that they were born into the same family. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, being triplets or twins or however you want to, how you, ever you want to put it, um, gives you that even closer bond, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really sad for literally everyone involved and... Um, yeah, it's really, really sad. And I mean, obviously, we hope a speedy recovery to everyone involved, the officers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our hearts go out to them. Yeah. But today's Katie's week. This week is Katie's week, I guess, would be the better way to put it. And I believe she has maybe one or two 
cases for us? Well, I knew we had this little uppity date about uppity our date. local situation that was happening. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you the first one because it's a little bit longer. Okay. And then the second one, she may just dabble around on Patreon potentially. So okay. if we cut it short and you want to hear what the second story was, you can head over there. You will be able to get access to the episode for as little as what? Like a coffee pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. And that's just once a month. You buy coffee every day, so it's not even that big of a deal. Yeah, and we are going to start being a lot more active in terms of uh, releasing Patreon exclusive yes. episodes. I always feel really, I don't know, I feel weird doing that because I, like, I want everybody to hear everything. Same. But, uh, yeah. We're going to do it. We're, we're just going to do, do it. it. Bottom line. Yeah, we're choosing we're to have a Patreon. It. We really want to use it. We really want to... Put more content out over there. Put more content out over there. So if you want access to like a little bit more shorter episodes, like for example, my episode this month on Patreon is not going to be as long as a regular episode would be, um, but it is related to a case that we covered on our main feed in the last month. So if you want access to that kind of stuff, uh, check out patreon.com slash podcast by proxy and become a member. Yeah, I would say the episodes are typically anywhere from like 20 to 45 minutes, say. So they're going to be little kind of like snippets and more more lighthearted content, I would say, as well mixed in. So yeah. check it out. Cool. But yes, it's my week. So shh, my turn. <laughs> I have the talking stick. Yeah, you do. Take it away, sis. I am. Today, we're going to talk about the case of Joseph Fritsch, which I think is such a cool last name, Fritsch. There is a book written about the case called Killing Times, and most of my information came from snippets from that, uh, one or two local articles I was able to find, as well as an article from the Globe and Mail. Okay. And of course, court documents, (laughs) court documents. I've been using those a lot more again lately. Especially with certain cases, I would say between, like, well, specifically, like, 70s, 80s in Canada, it's, like, all you can find to go on, really. Or you'll find articles leading up to court, and then you have to flip over because there's just nothing after that. Yeah. It's so weird. October of 1989, we are introduced to James Rustin. He is a cashier working at a local gas station. A Petrocan, to be exact, as we are quite familiar with, as anyone who lives in Canada. We love a Petrocan. Petro points? Love give me them all. Love me some Petro points. Yep. He was 17 years old, working part-time in a typically busy gas station on the corner of uh, Maple and Fairview Street in Burlington, Ontario. Oh, that's where Brandon's from. I know, remember they were just bonding. When we had our little BB quad the other weekend, the boys were bonding over Burlington. <laughs> and weird indie bands that came out of there. Well, yeah, because my boyfriend's from Ontario, your boyfriend's from Quebec, and... And lived there for years. So. And, like, Brandon's from a city in Ontario where you can, like, get to Quebec pretty easily, so they had things to bond over. James Rustin has a best friend who is 18-year-old Stephen Ola. 
Uh, as far as we know, James actually grew up with a fairly regular childhood. Teachers were quite happy to have him in their class, handed in homework, wasn't really known by any like bad reasons in school, so to speak. Yeah, like you, we all know when there's a, like when somebody's a bad seed. Are you a bad right? seed? You have a That's reputation. Yeah, and teachers were kind of like, yeah, he's present. He hands in his homework. Yeah. There's no concerns. Like, no one said he's a shining star. But nobody said he was a bad seed. Just he was, Which he I was can just relate there. to. Same. I can 100% relate I to that. 100% I was also just this. there. Although, out of all the people in the story, I really don't want to relate to James Russell. That's fair. I don't really want to relate to anyone in the story, and you'll see why in a second. Okay. So, the one. Okay. They had normal school lives, but I will say they each had, like, a little blip in their early lives that could have been traumatic. Okay. Hence why it was important to say that they just came out very normal. Okay. When James was just four years old, he watched his older brother, like, kind of jump slash fall off a dock, and he ended up drowning, like, right in front of James at four years old. Which was, like, uber traumatic. That is really traumatic. And when Stephen, his best friend, was eight years old, he went in his room, locked himself in his closet, and lit the closet on fire. Oh. So, like, both quite extreme experiences to have at young ages, personally. I would say so, yes. Right? So we pan to ten years later when they've done some growing up. You know, they're in their teens, as we've said, 17, 18-year-old. They're best friends. They're hanging out, being normal teenagers in the 80s, probably smoking some weed, drinking some beers, being quote-unquote bad boys. But the two of them would come to spend weeks together planning what they would call the big one people would overhear or the big job. Yeah. These two wanted to pull off some type of large-scale operation, kind of like they saw in, like, bad guy movies, essentially. So they wanted to rob somebody or rob somewhere or something. Weirdly enough that you were just talking about a bank robbery. I was going to say that. Right? That's a weird coincidence. How on the nose. Between their time at school, time at the mall, and just about, like, anywhere they were, this is all they talked about for weeks. And yes, wow. I'm in my notebook. I was going to say, this is really, really parallel to what I was just talking about. Because, I mean, you could imagine that that's what the two brothers were doing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, again, it's just two of the right mindsets meeting and fueling each other's fire. hmm Yeah. <sighs> So October 18th, 1989, very early in the morning while James was at work, he and Fartface, his other friend over there, Ola, we'll switch to their last names moving forward because they're the bad guys. So Ola and Rustin decide that they are going to ambush a customer who is using kind of like a self-serve kiosk within the Petrocan where James works. Which, I mean, it's the 80s. I'm not quite sure what kind of self-serve unless they just mean like he was getting a coffee. With the I was literally just going to ask that. 
That's self-checkout in the 80s? I, I don't think so. I could not find what the kiosk was because I paid at the, like, in the gas station in the 90s. My mom used to, like, send me in with and be like, $20 regular. Mm-hmm. It, well, and actually at that point, often you paid after. You would gas mm-hmm. up and then pay. Like, that actually, the prepaying, I don't even think you prepay for gas in the States yet, but um, in Canada, prepaying for gas. You don't all across effect. Canada either. Yeah, that didn't really come into effect here. I want to say in the last, like, 10 to 15 years. There's places in Quebec where you can still pump and then pay. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't happen here anymore. Yeah, maybe you're right, like, a coffee thing or something inside. Because was it inside? It didn't say everywhere. It said that they ambushed him while he was using a self-serve kiosk. So from what I'm about to explain in a minute, I believe he was inside the location. Because James proceeded, sorry, Rustin proceeded to grab a plastic bag, which I would assume was from behind the counter, and put it over this customer's head. It was like one of those thick garbage bags, too. So, like, he knew what he was doing. As the man's struggling, Ola grabs a fire extinguisher. So, again, I assume it's on the wall inside a gas station. Grabs it, starts beating this man relentlessly. Yeah. So while this man, sorry, the man being attacked is a 44-year-old man named Joseph Fritch. He was an executive at the Hudson Bay Company, which for anyone who doesn't know is a huge company in Canada. Very controversial in itself. Big during the fur trade. I don't want to get too much into it, but you can have your own opinions about the Hudson Bay Company. Also known now as the Bay the bay literally the most expensive store ever mm-hmm. yeah and their blankets are real scratchy once they'd brutally attacked joseph um which included more than 30 hits from the fire extinguisher that's wild especially to a stranger like that's really bold right? and later it comes out that uh, one of them, when recounting the story, advises that um, Rustin advises Ola to keep hitting him because he's not dead. So they fully knew what they were doing, too. Oh, 100%. That's it's disgusting. Yeah, that's really terrible. Yeah. Joseph's body was then placed in the trunk of his own car to boot, which is just... I'd be pissed if someone put my own body in my own car. It's like, fuck you. Keep my car clean. Let my family have it. Transport my own, my damn body in your car. Don't get blood in my car. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Once they put his body in his car, the boys decide that they're going to take all his money and credit cards and go on like a little shopping spree, which in turn just gets them busted because they just look at where the credit cards were and yeah. then we're like, who used the cards? They were like, oh, it was those guys. Duh. So immediately they're tracked. (laughs) So like I knew you were stupid before, but thank you for solidifying. There's a few parts in here where I'm like, because boys are dumb, criminals are dumb, teens are dumb. Like just in my side notes, because I have so many times where I'm like, why would you do that? And like, and and all they bought really were overpriced clothing, like shirts and shoes. Like if you're bored, go hang out at the skate park, like the rest of us did when we go were. Go get this age. stoned if that's going to be getting right. in trouble. Go get go go do something else. Just yeah. go loiter in the streets like the like a normal teenager. 
We were all bored. Right. We grew up in small towns. We were well aware of what boredom was and we survived without committing any felonies yeah like i get it you're bored just go do something else leave the people bowling watch a movie go bowling skip rocks i don't know yeah go play in traffic as my mom used to say to me yeah same (laughs) (laughs) so yeah as mentioned they bought the usual teen get up they went to west 49 Totally. It's like the 80s. What would they have? Oh, my God. Who even knows? We weren't alive. Fuck. (laughs) We come to find out that although they did not, like, partake in the crime itself, there was a third person involved after this. And that was Rustin's girlfriend, and her name is Carrie Lee Kissimore. So she witnessed most of the attack and then was there for kind of like the aftermath of it and was there during the use of the credit cards and the boys explained what had happened and she was just like cool let's go shopping yeah like she essentially saw them like finish beating him up and put him in his own trunk and was just like yeah let's go spend his money but she didn't touch him and was but she also didn't stop my i I will say I don't know what ability she would have had to stop two teenage boys slash men. Because one's 17, one is 18. However, she could have probably gotten away from the guys when it came to, like, the mall. (laughs) Yeah. And and reported them. Yeah, Yeah, potentially. Anyhow, on the night of this attack... Ola's father was out of town. He was a computer programmer for Goodyear Canada. So he would take business trips pretty frequently. So it was pretty easy for these boys to just like hang out all night and for him to be at the gas station already, just waiting around for the right person to show up by themselves early in the night or early in the morning. Because again, this gas station is typically quite busy in the intersection it's on. Hmm. That would also be just like such a fucked up call to get being like, early in the morning away on your business trip and they're just like hey you need to come home your son beat someone to death like what the yeah. fuck as we said qu- police quickly apprehend them because they're dumb as shit and use credit cards that belong to someone else they're also underage but this was before people probably wrote please see id on their credit card <laughs> when the trial started Frank Ola, who was his dad, the computer programmer, he had said that the mental health system had really failed his son over the years because they had flagged things, I guess, over time to medical professionals that were of concern. And, you know, he lit himself on fire at the age of eight. Maybe big red flag. Fiery red flag. say something about that. You know, arson to thyself. Yeah. Was there bedwetting along with this? Can we maybe just have him talk to a professional? However, we're talking about the 80s. True. And it is, it's also a boy. There's a stigma. It's, there's a lot stacked against him and his family. And it actually sounds like whether this is truthful or not, his parents saw that there was something to be concerned about and did really. Like they tried. Try, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Ola's mom reports that while working as an, uh, 
nursing instructor at a local college during her pregnancy with him. She took a lot of prescription medication. Um, this was due to many complications throughout her pregnancy, and they were just worried about her not making it to term. So oh. being the 80s, they thought rather than put her on bed rest and just keep her low key, we'll just give her, you know, like all these other medications, which I can only imagine would be something like who knows what that could have done to his mental health or what could have been genetically predisposed within their family. Yeah. We just never know. Good Food is Canada's number one meal kit service that delivers right to your door. Good Food makes cooking fun, easy, and affordable. They offer different meal plans to fit your needs like vegetarian, clean 15, easy prep, and the most popular basket, the classic basket. Every recipe is packed with fresh produce that comes directly from farmers and with good food. You can skip the trip to the grocery store and have everything you need to make your curated meals delivered straight to your door. Sign up for good food today using the code free podcast by proxy to get your first classic box for free. That's free podcast by proxy when creating your good food account to get a classic box on us. Hi friends, if you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. When the sentences were about to um, get released, his dad did say that if he didn't go to jail and get treatment, that he would kill someone else. He doesn't believe that his son isn't capable of being talked into this again or having this idea again based on what he's seen. Yeah, like he doesn't think that it's a one-off isolated incident, which it also, I mean, that much planning, that's not like a a spur of the moment. uh, But like when it comes down to it, you used a bag and a fire extinguisher. How planned was that? And then you just went and blew money on Again, I'm not going to help any criminals out, but thank you, criminals, for being stupid. Yeah. One of them is stupid. The other one, I think, is just a cry for help. So we'll get there. Both boys were charged with first-degree murder and were given a joint trial as requested originally. But during the trial, Ola essentially kind of did what they thought was a dirty move unknowingly and said a lot of slanderous or kind of defamatory things about the other person involved in the trial with him when they were supposed to be a united front on trial together. So immediately... Exactly, yeah. However, there really was no evidence to support what the accusations were, so they were actually redacted and you weren't able to find them because at the time one of the defendants was also a minor so a lot of the information in terms of what had been removed you can't even find out like snippets of it and put it together Mm -hmm. it's really irritating yeah i'm actually dealing with that that i'm researching right now um so for yeah everybody that doesn't know in canada if you i mean i'm sure the states is the same but 
If you are tried as a young offender, your record is essentially sealed, expunged, locked locked away, throw away the key. Uh, Nobody has access to it except for the people with access to those internal files. It's not even something that we could, like, request Mm -hmm. to be pulled. It's just a big no-no. No, you had to be, like, directly involved in the case. Yeah. So, aside from, like subreddits where somebody might know something or know the person directly and start (laughs) stealing it which has absolutely no ability to be corroborated or like duplicate duplicated like we usually like to have more than one reference for information um we try what is going on in your backyard there's a pigeon in my backyard oh yeah so that's weird i don't know i've never (laughs) seen a pigeon back there before keep it Strange. Okay. Anyway, no, that's uh, that's just really. I agree. It's super. It's hard when you're trying to research yeah. something, and like again, we were talking about court documents and how that's like, a lot of the time, the best way to find like the most accurate, detailed information, and you just can't access them. And I stumbled across this case because honestly, a picture caught my eye when I was looking through an archive for another case, and I just happened to like Google the name, and I went down like a hole, and there was. I don't know, not a very good amount of information, I would say. I couldn't find any news reports on, like, YouTube for it or Mm -hmm. anything to even see if I could find something, maybe more visual aid, what, nothing. Petition to change our podcast name to Down the Rabbit Hole. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's all we're doing over here. We're just going down rabbit holes. I think that's already a podcast. Uh... Anyhow, let's get back to this because we're mid-trial where the boys are getting tried together and the statements about Rustin, like we said, the jury is instructed not to listen to them. They can't be proven. They're getting stricken, redacted. Immediately, Rustin's team is like, okay, call for a mistrial. We're appealing this. Get out of here. Anything we can do, we are getting out of this case right now. The judge is like, no, 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 you're not. They can shiitake each other. They're teenage boys. You are not getting out of this trial. December 18th, 1981, Rustin was found guilty of first-degree murder. And on March 2nd, 1992, the judge sentenced him to 25 to life. Now, it is worth noting that the criminal code amendment was pending at the time to reduce parole ineligibility to between 5 to 10 years instead of 25 years so it could be a range and December 1st of 1995 so three years after his sentence the new criminal code amendment fixed parole ineligibility to a minimum of 10 years for like because of their age because isn't it first degree murder at the time, it what it was is it was like 25 to life was just a sentence. That was it. It wasn't like you could have like a lesser sentence to life. For first degree murder, you can't have a lesser sentence to life unless you're underage. Right. But at the time, it wasn't even for a, like underage. Okay. It was just across the board because these guys were tried as adults. So that's when they were looking at the amendment to say like, can we make an exception if we're trying a minor as an adult mm-hmm. to essentially have them reassessed when they're developed brain, had some treatment, had some time to think about it, yeah. little adult time out. 
Yeah, and that still happens today. Like, if you are a minor charged mm-hmm. as an adult, tr- sorry, tried as an adult for first-degree murder, uh, the, I think the average sentence is, like, seven years. Whereas if you Yeah, are seven an, to ten. Yeah, whereas if you're an adult, it's an automatic 25. Yeah. Yeah. Which I agree with. I think you should be reassessed once you're in, like, an adult state. Mm-hmm. And I've had time to grow up a little bit. I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't think that it's going to, like, change the game for everybody. But absolutely, no. yeah. Uh, everything is circumstantial and every... I hate totally. To every murder is different, so... It is. And how many times, though, do we see in the States where there's, like, young African-American mm-hmm. teens who were put away for exponentially, ridiculously over... When they were, like, done 16. sentences. When they are like, 16. Mm-hmm. And they yeah, never exactly. have a chance to relook at that. Relooking at it doesn't mean they're they're automatically going to no. let you out. because They're uh, eligible they're for eligible parole. eligible for parole, exactly. It doesn't mean... And parole is just a mini trial yeah. of, like, okay, 100%. who are you now? Yeah. So. Rustin did immediately appeal um, once this was announced because he was sitting at 25 years right so the ontario court of appeals did allow the subsequent change um to 10 years but the funny thing was he had already served 18 of the 25 so he's like can i have 10 years but essentially now it just made sure that he could apply for a parole yeah i don't know but i'm curious if it would allow him any additional opportunities to apply for parole or extra tools or resources to use because of the change. So I don't know if there was any benefit to him to really strive for the 10-year, but I think it was also so on his record it would have been converted to he was sentenced to 10 years to life. Yeah. Because I think that still has got to mean more to him in yeah, terms of sentencing. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just I'm what it looks back. like on paper. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. So Ola was also found guilty of first-degree murder, but... He was put through further rigorous mental diagnostic, and the judge did not properly explain to the jury at the time of the trial because they were just looking at the two of them. He never made any special notes when it came to him that he might not fall under what they considered the wrong according to moral standard of society because he might not have the same mindset as what, at the time, they deemed social society. Mm-hmm. He also didn't specify that he may not have had the capacity to rational perception and thus rational choice about rightness or wrongness was out of his ability or acts. Mm -hmm. And three, the judge erred when in a statement he made, I don't know, I guess a passing remark of saying that he didn't have voices in his head, but he's not a medical professional and he couldn't have said that. And for all we know, he could have been schizophrenic and we don't know that. So it was inappropriate for the judge to have said that. Um, Because it influences the jury. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The shitty part about this is because those things weren't mentioned in trial, he opened an appeal, or they opened an appeal... His appeal was denied. Oh. Yeah. So his first degree murder was just like kept as is. And I could not find if there was a revision of his parole in an eligibility period. However, I would hope that if they assessed one, they would have assessed both. Yeah. But it's hard to say considering Ola was the one that did the more violent of the act. They may not have. I don't know. And they won't automatically reassess both. I don't think so either. They ended up being tried separately. I know, and they probably didn't take his mental health into account at all, considering that was completely dismissed. Yeah. Which is the worst part. So, again, the person with the who needed the most help 
is probably getting the least of it just sitting in prison, which is so sad. Yeah. Carrie Lee, the little lady that just went along for the shopping spree, Mm -hmm. she was given one year for being an accessory to murder after the fact. She said that she suffered from nightmares for months after this crime, but in her nightmares, it was her dad that was being murdered. Oh. So she would, like, vividly see her father being the one being attacked by the two guys. So she obviously had a lot of guilt about not speaking up. And, I mean, they were young. You're with, you know, two she was guys. 17 you think they're cool. Well. What are you going to say? I mean, I don't, I'm not blaming her, you know. No. I think we can all say, though, consciously, even if it's something small, we all went along with something more than once that we were not comfortable with as a teenager because of just already being in a situation or with people and just not feeling like you have a choice. Yeah, that sounds like most of my teenage years. Same. (laughs) So, yeah, I get it. Yeah. So following Rustin's release on October or in October of 2019... He, oh God, this part is just like too much. He compared his life, get this, to Jean Valjean from Les Mis. He was like, he was locked away for decades and came out with no support. Just a man with nothing. I'm not kidding because he was released like right when COVID hit and a lot of resources were being pulled. Right. He literally compared this to being in Les Mis. So like homeless on the street with no shoes, no food, no nothing, which I get that that would be a difficult situation. However, I, I don't know if that was the proper comparison and he made it on two separate occasions with two direct references, but I'm not even going to give the second one the time because Sky annoyed me. I mean, look. For that reason. There was a whole whole part of society that was comparing COVID restrictions was to the Nazi Holocaust. So, you know, he's not the only one who was exaggerating not in 2020. No. So he is now 48 years old. He's still young. He is out living his life in a halfway house in Toronto. Okay. He says that he never thought about things that you get supplied automatically in prison because he was arrested and confined as a teen. He never had to buy his own stuff. He went from living with his parents to prison. And he said one thing he was shocked about was having to come out and actually consciously save money to buy your own clothes. He's never once had to buy clothes. He's like, that expense just shocked me. Well, like... You go in that young, let's say, what, he was 16, 17? He was 18. 18, okay. Or sorry, 17, yeah. Like, exactly like you said, you were raised in the system. your mom is buying your knickers still. Everything is provided for you. And Mm -hmm. we've talked about this before. By the time that you come out, let's say, what did you say? It was about 10 years? 18 years, because he had already served 18 even when he appealed. So... Think about all the technological changes that have happened. Like, you wouldn't know that you need a, like, you can go to an ATM, for example, or that you now need a PIN number to use your debit card, or that most places don't take checks, or, like, I could go on and on and on, but there's so many things, like, grocery shopping that we take for granted that you'd have no idea how or what to do. Like social media, cell phones, 
all of that stuff would be completely foreign to you, which is wild. It's just like too much. Yeah. Thomas. Well, that was really the end of my story there because that one just caught my attention and I really wanted to tell you. But I also have another short one that I can squeeze in. Yeah, that was pretty wild. Right? And for not having a lot of information, the bits of information I found were just like, oh, like, no. I was going to say, like, not a lot of information, but also a lot of information. However that works. Yes. Uh, Well, rest in peace to the victim. Joseph Fritsch. And... Yeah. Of the Hudson Bay Company. Yeah, it's just really, I mean, it's always sad, but it's, I find it even more sad when it's a completely innocent person who, it's just a crime of opportunity. Um, or like just, well, random attacks are so rare. Yeah, that when we do hear about them like that, we're like, person. oh. Yeah, it's the same when we see like terrorist attacks, things like that. It's like those poor people were just in a location going about their day. Yeah, actually, this really reminds me of the episode that I watched last night. I recently started that new docuseries on Netflix. I'm just pulling it up so I can find the name of it because I'm really into, like, no, I'm really um, quite interested in, like, cyber crimes, cyber stalking, virtual crimes right now. I just think that that... Oh, my God. That genre is, like, blowing up and because of like the internet and stuff just getting a lot more like it's just so crazy the kind of shit that happens on the internet um mm-hmm. but no i'm just trying to find what it's called okay well while you're doing that i have if anybody has um discovery plus i also have a suggestion in a second i'm just looking for it as okay i found it same this See is a first. docuseries called web of make-believe Death Lies on the Internet. Mm, I did see that. I just watched the first episode uh, recently, which is called Death by Swat, which, first of all, I did not know swatting, air quotes, swatting was a thing. Was a thing. Like a known thing, common. Agreed. Amongst the gaming community. Like, I didn't know that that was a thing. And was such an intricate process. And, like, so common and, like, popular amongst gamers specifically. What a weird thing. weird. Anyways, that was just, like, a whole other thing for me that I was, like, my mouth was open. But essentially, uh, one, this, this person's, like, taunting somebody else to, quote, swat them and gives the wrong address. And you can imagine how that went. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, just innocent bystanders, like you said, going about their day. Those ones are always the most shocking and sad to me. Yeah, if, yeah, that, I remember watching that. I watched it and I was, it, it's one of those cases or those episodes of a show because it's not like a murder crime, so to speak, like true crime. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know what's going to happen and that makes it worse. Mm -hmm. Like, as you're watching it, you're figuring it out, too, and you're like, oh, God, okay. Yeah. Um, if you have Discovery Plus, there is a show called Undercover Underage, and it is a girl who I will actually just tell you. So, her name is Rue, and she's, like, just as cute as a button woman. So, she works for Sosa, which is the... <clears throat> a group of people who go undercover online to catch online predators okay. who are trying to sex traffic or 
just kidnap in general and assault uh, individual cases, so not for use for sex trafficking. But she dresses up as all these different personas and her and her team like make these online profiles. They lure people and catch them and they work with the... It's so intricate. I highly recommend you look at it because anyone out there who has a teen, a preteen, a niece, a nephew, anything, you you should watch it because these are like Mm -hmm. the real realities of the conversations that people are having with your children or kids in your life because yeah there are a lot of oh you know there's a lot of creeps on here but i'm not one of them haha things like that where your kids could fall for it the internet is a really scary place was there not recently a case of a canadian girl who i'm just trying to find it the woman with the horrible eyebrows no, I thought it was like a young Canadian oh. girl from like Edmonton or something who went missing and they found her in Oregon and arrested a man and then figured out that they had like met online. I don't remember this. This is like really recent, apparently. Let me find it. True North True Crime posted on it on Instagram. That's why I know. Yeah, missing 13 year old girl. From Edmonton, found alive in Oregon, 41-year-old man is arrested. So, Edmonton, Alberta, a 13-year-old girl went missing for more than a week and was found in the United States. She was located following a week-long search that began when she was seen arriving in junior her junior high school class, but didn't show up for her, the actual class. She's reported missing on June 24th, and she's now in an Oregon hospital um, after being found safe in the state early Saturday morning. A 41-year-old organ man is ch- was going to be charged with child luring and is, ex- is expected to face additional charges in Canada and the U.S. Um, it's not even clear how he like em- or initially like made contact with this girl or how he got her across the border, but it sounds like they met online and they found like a whole bunch of communications between them, and that's really scary. So yeah, that is terrifying. Yeah. Just on this subject, I did want to say um, I have been binging the shit out of the podcast Strictly Stalking recently, and <laughs> I don't know if I've already mentioned that on the show because I'm that obsessed with it. I probably have and forgot, but it's so informational. It's so important to listen to. It's just so eye-opening, and it's they, like they do an incredible job, so check them out. Anyways, you are going to cover a second case for us. Also, I stubbed my foot earlier really bad, and it is killing me. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Uh, So, my second case, and this one was a recommendation from, like, way, way, way back. Just, like, a passing comment that someone was like, hey, did you know? And I will have to try and find out where it's from because... I would like to remember, but it's just a short little synopsis about this case. There is not a lot of information because it's from a very small town in Ontario uh, in the 80s as well. But let's just do a good old BOGO Ontario cases today. We might as well. Give the people what they want. Maybe we'll do like BOGOs. Maybe when they're even shorter cases, we'll do like little trifectas. (laughs) Trifectas. BOGOs and trifectas. But today, I'm going to tell you about the Canadian Dahmer. 
Oh, just boy. kidding. It's Ew. just his last name. It's not that. I was going to say, his I, name's think, Brian I think Donner. I'm going to sign off now. I'm done. I changed my mind. <laughs> I just see, I just hear a click, click, and your mouse is unhooked. Bye. Or your mic is unhooked. Toodles. So, yeah, we're going to talk quickly about Brian Dahmer and Aaron Burkholder. Okay. So on July 16th, 1988, Gertrude and Ernest Burkholder reported their eight-year-old daughter, Erin, missing. They lived in, as we said, a very small town called Mount Forest, Ontario. Uh, even when I looked it up, I couldn't... <laughs> there was, like... I couldn't find a local newspaper that even covered it. Mount Forest? Yeah. Okay. I'm just looking. What's the population? Mount Forest is an unincorporated community located at the junction of Highway 6 and Highway 89 in the township of Wellington North, so it's not even a whole town. <laughs> it's an intersection. As of 2011 Canadian census, the population of Mount Forest was 4,757, so tiny. Oh, I shouldn't complain. That's about 150 people shy of Duncan. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Anyhow, makes sense why there was not much information and not much reporting on this. Yeah. It sounds a lot like here. It's tree-covered, beautiful surroundings, very low population. Yeah. Located along the Saugeen River, with many sacred burial grounds located. The Ojibwe people used this land primarily for hunting. Like in earlier days, it was really fruitful. They could grow a lot of stuff. Lots of animals struck, stuck around there. When reported missing, Erin was blonde-haired in grade three and on her way to play with another local neighborhood kid. Um, when you look at her picture, too, it's there's a little news segment about her. She has these, like, huge glasses. She's so cute. Aww. Like, half of her adult teeth are grown in. She just has this, like, big smile, huge gaps in her teeth. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. When she went missing, she was wearing her bathing suit because she had, like, just returned from a bike ride and, like, ditched her bike and was like, I'm going back out with my friends. Like, can you not picture that? Like, on your bike in bathing suit and flip-flops, like, rushing home just to drop off your bike. I, I, I was her. I remember this feeling. You know, feeling. I did that. And uh, then one day I was riding my bathing suit, riding my bike home and... You were riding your bathing suit? How hard was that? No, riding my bike home in my bathing suit. Do, 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 do. And my friend like stopped really suddenly in front of me. And so I also had to stop really suddenly. And Did you I, go over your handlebars? I went flying and yeah. I sliced my ankle bone like open down to the bone. I had to get like rushed to the hospital and get like stitches yeah. Is it the same one you've had operated on since? The same ankle? Yeah. No. Oh, well, so, at least they uh, both have scars I was going to say, got matching <laughs> scars on each side. Yeah. Uh, so Saturday at 5.30 p.m. was the last time that Erin had been seen by her friends and family. Both Erin's parents were quiet and kept to themselves. They were a small farming community. They didn't know too many people nearby because there was quite a bit of distance between homes. Yeah. And her mom said that this happens in big cities, but not small towns like Mount Forest, which is just such a small town comment. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, girl. So parents were also still very on edge because, as you know, this was also the time of Clifford Olson. Okay. He had just confessed to murdering 11 children and young adults. 
Approximately 23 hours later, a six-person search party had gone out and essentially made a horrific discovery almost immediately. Mm-hmm. In a gravel pit, there was a long abandoned area where the search party was able to locate eight-year-old Aaron's naked body. Her bathing suit, shoes, and glasses were about two kilometers from her, and at the time when her body was found, it was on the ground, and there was another few belongings of hers found in a little garbage can nearby. Oh my goodness. That's horrible. Yeah. Following the gruesome discovery, the police immediately uh, looked to 27-year-old basket maker... You heard that right. Local basket maker, Brian Dahmer. The OPP picked him up and originally just went right ahead and charged him with first-degree murder. Do we know why he was targeted so quickly? So, not really. Hmm, okay. Like, I'm just wondering if he was, like, known for this kind of behavior or... The way that the article I read was worded, again, there's so little information, it seemed more like there was nobody else in town who right. was kind of creepy or weird or... It was just right away they were like, I bet it was that Dahmer guy. Right. You know? Like, which, it, it was just one of those, which I don't think was that uncommon in, like, 88, 89, 90. Yeah, yeah you know, no. It's a dangerous investigative technique, for sure, but it was common back then, yes. It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, they charged him right away and he stood trial 24 hours after that because, again, this is the 80s. I was going to say. June 19th, Aaron's autopsy results finally come back. It shows that she had a major skull fr- fracture from blunt force trauma, which the item or weapon is still completely unknown. Her body indicates that she was sexually assaulted and has signs of severe trauma otherwise as well. Due to many reports of children going missing in the area, parents and authorities were considering a killer that, like, kind of struck only in July. It was like a summer killer. Oh. Like, local parents were just like, what about this? What if this? What if this? But the other children that had gone missing in the area didn't, they weren't similar circumstances. They weren't matching profiles. Hers seemed like a one-off case, mm-hmm. and the parents were, I think, just clinging to hope that it was something bigger than that, so it could only be one person. Like, we've talked about this before. It's like, if there's only one bad guy, once they catch him, it's done. Mm-hmm. If there's four of them, that's way scarier. That's too much. Yeah. So, as we said, he was subsequently charged and found guilty of first-degree murder at the time. And that was that's, like, literally all the information about this case. So, the question is, to this day, is, did this guy actually do it? Like, we don't really know. Yeah. It was it, just, it like... It was just, like... You it was, it. like... Tw- do we know if he appealed char- at all? They, they charged him before the autopsy was done. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I'm wondering if he ever, like, appealed or anything. So, there is literally the whole... I've had these notes for, like, I don't even know, months. I was on, like, Reddit forums. And when you look it up, it's really difficult because he does also... 
clearly share a name with one of the most notorious killers out there. So that also makes it difficult. But this town is also so small and in the 80s that I ended up relying more on old, like, local news clips and a few articles or, like, pictures of newspapers where I'd have to, like, zoom in and read the article. And it... That's why I was like, well, I can't really cover this because there's only, like, two pages of information on this or a page of notes because police just seemed to wrap it up and call it a day. There was really no additional work put in, I yeah. found, or I feel. Everything is just like, he did it. It was this basket maker. And I, I mean, I don't necessarily say it wasn't. Did you say this was but 1982? I have a heart. 88. Oh. Never mind. I what? was just looking to see if I could find a court case, but wrong one. 88, I know. You're yeah. much better at finding court cases than I am, but I found that typically in the search process, you usually find some weird link back to it. Yeah, I don't see I feel, anything for Ontario. I feel like when you look up a case and there's a Wikipedia page, even though it might not be what you're going to use... It's it's reassuring knowing there was enough articles for a Wikipedia page to be linked. Yeah. Yeah, no, this Uh, is like, there's nothing here. No, and I felt bad because someone had suggested this case and I I had never heard of it. But at the same time, I could see why. Has anybody heard of it? Yeah, this is crazy. But I mean, still worthy of telling a little girl was murdered, like... But it, it would be really interesting to find out if there's more information on that sentence. Yeah, if thing, you were if you ever got in, out. Yeah, if you lived in the area or your parents lived in an area nearby, like, let us know if there this was like a hometown to them and they have any more information or personal recollection. Because I find it hard to believe that just like an eight year old can go missing and come up sexually assaulted and murdered and there isn't more information. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it happens all the time, but it's pretty crazy. Because there's, like, photos and stuff. Yeah. Like, there's pictures of her. There's a couple little news articles you can read. Mm-hmm. There's a little news clip you can watch. Mm-hmm. But it's just the same, like, core information. It, I don't want to say it seems like a cover-up, but it just seems like they didn't care enough to put the time in and risk being wrong. Yeah. Potentially. Maybe it's a better way to put it. Yeah, I'm assuming that you read this McLean's article. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Huh. It's just... That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a very weird one. I appreciate whoever sent it in. And this, like, digital archives page is really killing me. I want to read the article so bad. And they're like, no, <laughs> no. It happens. No. Yeah. We will keep you guys updated on any more Saanich police updates as well from the case we talked about at the beginning. Yep. Check out Patreon. Yep. And I will be back next week with a local case. I'm working on that right now. It was <gasps> recommended to me or suggested to me by somebody that I actually know really well. Um, and that's turned into a really interesting case. It's super local. It has a lot of, like, Canadian justice historical influence. 
Um, Love it. So yeah, keep the case suggestions coming, everyone. It really helps us out with covering cases that we might never stumble across, never even know existed. And I personally have been gravitating towards cases I've never heard before or cases that when I look it up have no podcast has ever covered it. Maybe it's a bit harder for us to find the information. Um, you know, the, the cases that nobody's ever heard about, if anything, they deserve us to be talking about them more um, because everybody deserves their story to be told and to have justice served to them. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. I love week. doing... I love doing these little mini stories, too. So maybe if your story is just a little snippet and you just want someone, like, the name to get out Mm -hmm. or some recognition, maybe we cover four in an episode if they're only 15 minutes each. We're happy to do that. So keep sending them in even if you think there's not enough information because Olivia's right. Everyone's story is important. Yeah, like, for example, the case I'm covering next week, I just looked it up on Spotify. Nobody's ever covered this case. And it was historically influential in Canadian justice. So, yeah. We're going to tell that one next week. Check out Patreon. Check out Instagram. Sorry if we sound a little tired today. It's Sunday. We're really cram jamming this one I just worked 10 hours. A lot has happened. We've been working. (laughs) We've been doing things. You know, we are real people just living our lives. We've had highs. We've had lows. But it's been lovely. And we will chat with you all next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. (gasps) Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me.